chapter 13. And we are going to look at sections verses 21 through 22 tonight. This is the week of the Passover, of the betrayal, the arrest, and the crucifixion of Jesus are just days ahead. We see in in verse 21 that Jesus was very troubled in his spirit. Remember, he had a reasonable soul. He is God, and he's a, uh, a real man. And this real man was greatly troubled. And the reason is said why he was greatly troubled. Because he said, one of you is going to betray me. That troubled him in a tremendous way. Now we know from, from Jesus' uh, referral in, in chapter 13, verse 18, that he quotes verse, uh, in eight, verse 18, he quotes Psalm 41, verse 9. That that is that prophecy is being fulfilled, and that prophecy, remember, is that that a familiar friend, whom he trusted, the scripture says, would lift up his heel against him. A friend that he trusted would lift up his heel. In other words, would betray him. Jesus says, "This is about to transpire." And we see from verse 18 that Jesus had chosen all of his disciples, all 12 of them. And of course, one of those 12 was none other than Judas Iscariot, who we saw in John 6, verse 70. He says, I chose all of you, but one of you is a devil. So even then, when Jesus said this, now, In John chapter 6, that was in the context of Jesus says, you got to eat my flesh, you got to drink my blood if you're going to have any part with me. That offended many of his disciples. Remember, there were, it's not just the 12 that are called the disciples. They were the inner circle. They were the 12 chosen disciples. But there were others who were called disciples And the word disciple simply means a follower. And there were many followers of Jesus, and they were offended when Jesus said, you got to eat my my flesh and drink my blood. And so they departed. And the 12 says, Jesus says, you going to leave me too? And Peter says, well, we have no one else to go to. And that is the context where Jesus says, well, I've chosen all of you, and one of you is a devil. Now, it's interesting here that uh, in, in this passage, Judas stays with them. And when Jesus said, I've chosen you, and one of you is a devil, the disciples, the others, they don't get it. We're going to see all along they don't get what Jesus is explicitly telling them. Now, we're told here that Jesus knew all along that Judas was the betrayer, and he allowed him to be with him 
for three years. Remember, uh, and being with him, what did Jesus refer to him as? A friend. And it would be a friend who would betray him and lift up his heel against him. So in the other gospel accounts, the other gospel writers, they had stated that Jesus, or Judas that is, prior to the Last Supper, had already gone out and cut the deal with the Sanhedrin. In fact, he did it at the beginning of the first day of the Passover week. He went out and made the deal with the Sanhedrin, saying, how much will you give me if I give him into your hands? They weighed out 30 pieces of silver. So by the time the Passover uh, preparation is done, and and Jesus is going to have that last supper with them, Judas had already made the deal. He had already planned, and the scripture says, the other writer says, he was looking for the opportune time to betray Jesus and hand them over to the the ruling body. Now we're told in verse 22, if you look at it, it says, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And they begin to look around at one another. And look what it says, at a loss as to know who was he speaking to. They had no, no, no idea. And t- to get the whole picture, we got to look at uh, all the synoptic writers, what they say. And they fill in things that John basically doesn't fill in. And he says, um, you're going to find in the, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that Jesus says, I'll tell you who the betrayer is. He is the one who's going to eat with me. And the one who eats with me will betray me. Now, though, I'll just tell you the passages if anybody's, I don't know if anybody's taking notes right now, but you can find those passages in Matthew 26, verses 21 through 25. You find it in Mark 14, verse 18, and you find it in Luke 22, 21. All indicate that Judas was eating with the other 11 at the Last Supper. Now keep that in mind. The greatest probably criminal act in human history was the giving over of the Son of Man unto sinners. And this great betrayer ate the communion supper. Now, we need to understand that when we observe the Lord's Supper, we have indicated there's nothing magical that happens during the Lord's Supper. It is, as as Genesis says, it's a spiritual communion of Jesus with us. And just eating the meal, just being there and eating it doesn't do anything for us. In fact, that's why the scripture says, and Paul really affirms this, 
you, you better have the right mindset when you come to the Lord's Supper lest you eat and drink judgment to yourself. Just think about it. The one who would betray the Son of Man ate and brought great judgment upon himself. And it just goes to show he was always a devil. He'd gone out, preached with the others, through whose hands, it's an amazing way, we don't understand how uh, others could participate in these things like uh, casting out demons, like uh, healing uh, people with many afflictions. Judas was out with him. Remember, Jesus says in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, they'll say, but we did many marvelous works. We cast out demons and these things. And he says, I never knew you. Judas was one of those who did all those things, ate the Lord's Supper with Jesus and the others, all along knew, and he'd already made the deal to betray the Lord of glory. So Jesus' statement in John 13, 21 we learn that this enormous sin, it didn't take Jesus by surprise that Judas betrayed him. After all, it was in the eternal counsel of God, was it not? And that the, the portrayer, though it was in the eternal plan of God, we see that he is still culpable for his sins. And <clears throat> interesting here, when they had the Lord's Supper and he is eaten, Judas with Jesus, Jesus in Matthew's account has him say right after that, the son of man is going to go as it has been determined, but woe to the man who betrays him. It would have been better if that man had never been uh, born. So Judas is responsible for all his actions and to sit there and eat that supper knowing he is going to betray Jesus. Now we're, we're told in verse 22 here that it says the disciples began looking at each other. Is it I? That means this went on for a while. They were saying, who is it? And it's interesting that Jesus' comment, it really did create a stir among the disciples and they were really perplexed at who would do such a dastardly thing among us. And in Matthew 26, verse 22, in Matthew's account says, they all were sorrowful and said, is it I? When I say they all that included Judas. In fact, Matthew 26, verse 25, even has Judas saying, is it I? Think about how loathsome that hypocrisy was. Oh, could it be me? Knowing he had already made the deal, knowing he was going to do it, 
And he's just putting on a pretending that he doesn't know who it is. Could it be me? Now, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't immediately allay their fears when they were wondering, is it me, Jesus? Is it me? Is it me? They all began to wonder, am I going to be the one betraying them? They had no idea it was Judas Iscariot. And we're told in Matthew 26, verse 23, that Jesus gave a general answer as to uh, who is it? He says, well, it's going to be the one who dips his hand with me in the dish. That's going to be the betrayer. But here's the thing. He's not the only one who was dipping his hand in the dish. They all were. So so at this point, the betrayer is still not particularly specified. And this dipping in the uh, dish, what was that? Well, during the Passover meal, you had this dish, and some called it, well, it's called the sop. It was a mixture of bitter herbs, had vinegar, had salt. And what was this, what was that? intended for in the Passover meal. It was the bitter herbs was to remind Israel of their departure in haste from Egypt. So it was was the custom to take the bread, dip it in there and eat. That was part of the ritual of the Passover meal. So by not immediately revealing who the betrayer was, Jesus is emphasizing here how just despicable this act really was. And perhaps he wanted Judas just to sit there and think about what he was about to do. Now, this betrayal of Jesus, it focuses upon really the depth of Jesus' suffering. Now, he is uh, in a treacherous And in a humiliating way, the Messiah, the Lord of glory, is going to be handed over to sinners. He's going to be handed over to his enemies. As he will say, the power of darkness had arrived and he will be given over. But keep this in mind. Jesus is in full control of all the events. Nothing is catching Jesus by surprise not one thing. And, and he knew exactly what was go- going to happen. And look at uh, John 13, 19, indicates uh, that, that he knew from now on, I'm telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am here. Jesus knew all the events. He had orchestrated it had pressed the issue. That's why he'd come to Jerusalem at that time because the hour had finally arrived for him to be delivered up. Now we know that perhaps another reason why he didn't immediately reveal uh, who the betrayer was and he let the disciples go on wondering, is it me, was to allow them to examine themselves because we ought to examine ourselves. You know, Psalm 139 
23 and 24 says this. David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there's any wicked way among me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Well, they're, been, they're wondering who it is going to be betray Jesus. Well, the suspense is becoming, it's mounting, and it's, it's coming to a climax here because look what verse 23 and 24 says. Simon Peter therefore gestured to him and said, well, no, we got, let me back up to verse 23. There was reclining on Jesus' breast one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore gestured to him meaning the one reclining at Jesus' breast, whom Jesus loved, tell us who it is whom he is speaking. Now again, we have addressed this earlier, but this is the second time that John is referring to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Now we, we know from even John 13, that Jesus loved his own unto the end. He loved all of his disciples. He loves all of his elect. But here, the apostle John is specified out. Well, why? Well, John probably knew Jesus better than anyone else. Now, you've got to remember who Jesus is. He's the son of man, but he's the son of God. Jesus could read people's minds. We know that. We're told that several times. He knew what the the scribes and the Pharisees were thinking. It says, knowing their thoughts, he would respond. He knew what Nathaniel was thinking when he called him to be one of his disciples. He said, I saw you under the tree. Why did you see me under the tree? And he, and he says, behold, a, a, a Nazarene, um, a, a, a good Israelite. He knew what Nathaniel was thinking. And what did that precipitate? Nathaniel saying, my Lord and my God. He understood only a God can know this. So why would he say, John, the disciple that Jesus loved, he knew John's heart. There was, had to be a relationship there that John had with Jesus that none of the others had, and the others knew it. Peter knew it, did he not? Because it says here that Peter is gesturing, says, looking at John, says, well, why would John know? Well, Peter knew John had a relationship with Jesus unlike any of the others. So he's uh, gesturing to, to John probably sitting right across the table from him. Well, tell us, John, thinking John ought to know who it is. And remember, now, in fulfillment of prophecy, when Jesus is given over and is arrested, in fulfillment of prophecy, it says, when the shepherd is taken, the sheep will be shattered, I mean, will be scattered. And they all left him, did they not? 
But who was at the crucifixion of Jesus, as we're going to see later on? John. He's the only one. And John's with Jesus' mother, Mary. And that's when he's on the cross. He looks at his mother and says, Woman, behold your son, referring to John. Then he looked at John and says, Behold your mother. And the scriptures we're going to say says that from that day forward, John took Mary into his own household. So that special relationship was there. So when Peter is saying, well, John, who is it? You ought to know as if he was privy to it. But then John says to Jesus, well, Jesus, who is it? And at this point, Jesus says, It's the one that I give the bread to is the betrayer. And then the scripture says, he dipped it and handed it to Judas Iscariot. But guess what? They all still didn't know, as we're going to see. And at this point, when he gives it to Judas, our text, and look at verse 27 After the morsel, Satan then entered into him, and Jesus therefore said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now let's understand, Satan, the devil, was behind all the animosity against Jesus, he was betray- uh, behind all the betrayal. He's, he was behind the arrest. He was behind the crucifixion of Jesus. It was Satan who was doing all of this. And so, let's take. I want you to turn to Genesis three to understand it was always the intention of the devil to do this. Because look what the scripture says. When Adam and Eve fell into into sin. So in looking at Genesis 3, 14 and 15, this is right after Adam and Eve had eaten of the forbidden fruit. It says, And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field, On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is called the Proto-Evangelium. This is the promise of the Redeemer. And it sets, what Genesis 3, 14 and 15 sets out is the course of human history. There's going to be a conflict in human history between the seed of the serpent, the devil, and all of his followers, and the seed of the woman, and all of the woman's seed who are believers. And we know that Jesus 
the Messiah is the ultimate promised seed in the scriptures. Satan will bruise your heel, meaning he's going to see to it that you die. But Jesus is going to crush his head. And we know from the scriptures, see, it's hard to imagine the devil conspires to do all these things and in conspiring to do all these things to kill Jesus, it is his undoing. It it will be his crushing of his head because the Bible says Jesus defeats Satan on the cross. So when, when Jesus gave that morsel to Judas, Jesus is through, he's basically through with Judas It's over. Whatever you got to do, go out and do quickly. And one explanation for this, why he said go out and do quickly, is that in one sense, Judas knew, well, the plot has been exposed. And if I don't go out and deal with them, uh, who knows what, uh, what might happen. And so he immediately goes out and does what Jesus says. He goes quickly. And remember what the what the Sanhedrin were telling people is if you know the whereabouts of Jesus, we want to know who it is, where he is. And when Judas had earlier in the week made the deal with him, he says, I will find a way at the appointed time where you can come and get him. So <clears throat> If you look at verses 28 and 29 here, now no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. (laughs) I mean, Jesus spoke this out loud, but they had no idea why he said it. For some were supposing, verse 29, because Judas had the money box that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we have need of for the feast or else that he should be given something to the poor. Well, what we see here, it is reasonable to assume they had heard the 11 disciples had heard the conversation uh, between John and Jesus, but they still didn't understand. And they didn't understand why Judas left. And remember, Judas was the treasurer. And again, uh, it's amazing that the disciples for three years had no idea that Judas was a devil and would be the betrayer. They had no idea. And even here at the Last Supper, they still don't know who it is. Judas was always the pretender. And as I said earlier, when people were leaving, Certain disciples, because they were offended by Jesus' comments that you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, Judas didn't leave. 
But he was, he knew he was a devil. He wasn't with Jesus. Not one point was he ever with Jesus. He had always had a darkened heart. And, and Jesus chooses him because he's going to fulfill prophecy. I've got to be betrayed by a friend who will lift up his heel against me. So come on, knowing all along he would eventually betray him. But Judas was a faker. And not only did he pretend... Uh, We're told here, you remember when Mary anoints Jesus with that expensive perfume? Others were upset that he used, that uh, Mary had this very expensive perfume. Remember, we talked about just how expensive that perfume was. It came from the Himalaya Mountains. It was, a, it was worth an, 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 really an incredible amount of money. And Judas says, well, that money could have been given to the poor. That's what we read in John 12, 5. He says that money could be given, given to the poor, knowing. And John says he had no intention, and he was a, a hypocrite then because it, John says he was always pilfering from the treasury box. So the treasurer was embezzling money along the way. And so when during this Passover meal, when Jesus says that one of you is going to betray me, we're, we've I've already mentioned that Judas even says, oh, is it I? Am I one of them? What a scoundrel. Think about it. What a scoundrel. He knew he was the one. And he pretends, oh, is, is it me? That's how despicable that man was. Look at verses 30 and 31. And so after receiving the morsel, meaning Judas, he went out immediately and it was night. Now, <clears throat> with the dismissal of Judas, the die is officially cast. Jesus knew that G Judas would go out and he would reveal to the ruling body the whereabouts of Jesus. And that's what he, Judas, as we're going to see, will lead a large group, a multitude, to go arrest Jesus. He knew exactly where Jesus was. And it says, when Judas went out and left to, to actually carry out the betrayal, we're told in verse 31 and 32, when he had, had gone out, here's what Jesus said. Look what he says. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God also will glorify him in himself 
and will glorify him immediately. Now, in saying now, the Son of Man is going to be glorified. What's the now? The betrayal of Judas. That's the now. And the Son of Man is going to be glorified in what's about to happen because they are going to come and they will arrest him and then they will crucify him. Now it says here, so the scripture says here, Jesus, he will be glorified in his betrayal. He'll be glorified in his arrest. He will be glorified in his crucifixion. So there are two things here. The son is going to be glorified and the father is going to be glorified. And they are inseparable. In thinking about Christ's suffering, we realize the voluntary self-surrendering of Jesus to his humiliation, his death, and his willingness of the Father to give up the Son to save sinners. Now, in the glorification of the Son of Man, Jesus says, remember what he said in John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus voluntarily lays down his life. No one made him. It was not an accident. He's not the victim. I remember years ago, when the movie, one of my brothers took me to see the movie uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> I mean, this is in the mid-70s. And we went and saw it, and my brother said to me, I mean, brother was a Christian. He said, let's just go see it. He says, what is John? What do you think? You didn't like that either. I said, no, I didn't like that. Well, he didn't really like it either. Because it, what it basically portrayed, have any of you ever, ever saw that movie? I mean, it, it was horrible. They made a big uh, musical tract out of it, by the way. And in that movie, it shows that Jesus was a victim and it made him as if I, I, I didn't mean to die and look what's happening to me. I mean, he really was blasphemous. The scripture says Jesus voluntarily laid down his life. Now remember, we're going to see after the Last Supper, Jesus is going to go into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And then after, that's when the disciples are going to fall asleep. And then Jesus is upset with the fact that they can't even stay awake with him and pray with him. But then he, he'll say, well, the, the hour has arrived. They're on their way. How do you know they're on their way? Well, he's God, right? He knows what's happening. He knows the events. He knows every minute detail. He says, they're coming. And remember when they arrive, how despicable that was. Because when Judas went out, he says, in his betrayal, he says, I will identify him for you 
by giving him a kiss. And the one whom I kiss, that's the man, that's Jesus, then arrest him. And so when, when he arrives, when that multitude arrives with Judas, he goes up, kisses Jesus. You know what Jesus said to him? Friend, what are you doing? Called him a friend. Remember, a familiar friend will lift up his heel against him. That's when Peter drew the sword, cut the ear off of Malchus, one of the servants. Jesus restores the ear. And then Jesus says, look, do you not think that I could ask my father and he would send 12 legions of angels? If I wanted to, no, I, I have voluntarily yielded up myself because I have to die. So the son of man is glorified in his willingness to save sinners. How was the, how was the father glorified in all of this despicable act of, of, Judas Iscariot in the betrayal. Well, turn over to Isaiah 53 with me. Look at verses 10 and 11. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it, and be satisfied by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. In 1 John 4, 10 and 11, we're told, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, the, in the death of Jesus, the Father is glorified because with the propitiatory sacrifice of which Jesus is, the wrath of Almighty God against sinners is satisfied. God's justice is, has been met. Because what does the scripture say? The soul that sins must die. This is why the, the whole essence of the gospel message is the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've said several times if you're, if you're sharing the gospel with someone, at some point, you have to talk about the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. 
Because if we don't, you don't have the gospel. Because we can't save ourselves like most people think that they can save themselves, but you can't save uh, ourselves. You got to be regenerated. You've got to have your, your, your whole, a new heart. You've got to have your sins forgiven. You can't forgive your own sins. You've got to have a sacrifice to forgive your sins. And it's got to be a sacrifice so uh, magnificent that it takes care of all the sins of all of God's people for all of human history. And so we see, oh, the son of, the son of man is glorified in his death because he voluntarily laid it down. He paid the price. He accomplished the task for which he was sent into this world. Remember, Matthew one twenty one says it. When Mary was found with child, an angel appeared to Joseph and says, "You don't don't set her aside. That child that Mary is carrying is a holy child, and you're going to call him Jesus." for he will save his people from their sins. So the whole incarnation, one purpose, that the Son of Man would be glorified in his humiliation, well, eventually in his exaltation, but here in his humiliation, and the Father will be glorified because his justice will have been satisfied. Remember this morning? Going through the shorter catechism, it talks about about the the, the priesthood. How is uh, Jesus our high priest? And it talks about how he satisfied divine justice, and by that satisfaction, the Father is glorified. And so we see this this. In conclusion, this Passover meal, the institution of the new covenant was here. Jesus is our Passover. That's why he said, this cup that I'm handing to you is the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant. And I must die and the betrayer must go out and do his horrible act and will pay the price. But it has to happen. But it all happened according to the eternal counsel of God. That's why the father sent the son and it's why the son was willing to become obedient, as Paul says in Philippians, obedient even to the point of death, even the death on a cross. And so we magnify in the worst of, of events, the glory of God is manifested. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that Jesus did not shun away from the cross, though he was, he sweat blood in thinking about what was coming but he still did not turn away. That's how much he loved us. And so we thank you, Father, for sending the Son. We thank you, O Son,
for paying the price. And we thank you, O Spirit, for applying that marvelous work of Jesus to us. Hallelujah, triune God. Amen.